and I hope you'll be faithful through these summer months that are coming up, and I'm glad, very glad our young people are in here for this as well, but for really all of us, including myself, quite frankly, Genesis 1. Verse 1, of course, says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God, moved upon the face of the waters. Father, please help us, please help us tonight to focus our minds and hearts on your word. Help us to rightly discern and divide the word of truth. And Lord, help us to embrace it by faith. As we sang a few moments ago, simply trusting and help us to do so. We thank you for your presence and for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we're going to begin tonight a new series of Bible studies, primarily in Genesis, but not entirely, but mostly in Genesis, on the subject of foundations. You know, in in mathematics and in science, there are certain axioms and there are certain certain sort of paradigms called first principles. This is also true in philosophy. They are similar, of course, and the idea is that a first principle is a basic assumption that cannot be sort of deduced any further. Elon Musk is very famous for trying to live and work his entire career by his own view and own vision of his sort of first principles. But what if, okay, what if there is something before all of the first principles? What if instead of basic assumptions, you actually have foundational and absolute truth. I mean, if you think about it for a moment, if a man or if any society had an absolute rule or absolute set of rules, imagine just, imagine just how settling, how powerful and directional and intentional a person's heart and mind could be because of it. Well, folks, that is exactly why God has given us the book of Genesis. Now, notice we said God, not Moses, Not a man, not even an angel. The only one who can truly lay this foundation is the one who was there before the beginning of all things. And you know, if you think about it, the book of Genesis, the foundation of all of the following 65 books, it's not just the first book of the Bible. It's really the first book in all of the universe. After all, it is the only book in existence the only book known to man that gives a true account of the beginning of everything, of creation itself, by the only one who was actually there, the Creator. So that you have in this book the beginning. You have in the book the foundation of everything. It is the foundation of the universe, of man, of woman, of marriage and the home, of sin, sacrifice and worship of cities of trade of agriculture races nations languages all of it is right here in this book and of course all of it is given in the first 11 chapters and then from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 50 we have the foundation of civilization if you will the foundation the beginnings of Israel and how God planned all along to deal with mankind and to do so through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And why, you see it right here, in the Middle East and the rest of the world, we're in the shape that we're in. 
Essentially, beloved, the book of Genesis is the answer source. It answers or at least addresses all of the questions that men have and that men have tried to answer and in research, in laboratories, think tanks, universities, and groping around in universities and have for centuries now. Billions and billions of dollars are still being spent in science, anthropology, political studies, trying to find answers that are already given right here in the book of Genesis. Now, their problem is simple. Their problem is they don't want and they don't want to believe these answers. 2 Thessalonians 2.10, they loved not the truth. Well, guess what? We love the truth, amen? And we believe the truth. So that a solid grasp of foundations is absolutely necessary. That's why I want these young people here. It is totally necessary for any understanding of the next 65 books of the Bible, not to mention the next 6,500 years of human history. Think about this for a moment. There's been a lot of, there is a lot of talk these days about the so-called woke mind virus. And there really is an inability. And you look around, there is an absolute inexplicable inability for people in the schools, people in places of power, to think, to think critically, to discern, to understand, to comprehend, to grasp what used to be obvious and accepted and universal in reality. But what some are calling a mind virus is destroying all of that, all of that ability to simply think critically. The problem is, it's not a mind virus at all. Not really. And it's not really political. It's not financial. It's not legal. It's all spiritual. And the better word for it, frankly, is the word darkness. And that's something I hope you will grasp and we will understand greater, more than ever before. This is a spiritual problem with darkness. For example, this book of Genesis is the foundation of everything. And it's in its very first verses, by the way, Certain distinctions, certain differences that have always been accepted because the law is written on the heart of man. And they have served for centuries as guideposts, as barriers in the road to life for the whole universe and thus for all of humanity, all people, and for all time. And from day one, Satan has attacked and tried to remove these differences from the human mind, and the human heart. And he's done it with a lot of young people in this generation today. And that's why this is a spiritual problem. It's not a political problem. I appreciate what our governor is doing and trying to, trying to get books out of libraries. It's not a political problem. This is a spiritual problem. These distinctions that we'll study further down the road are from God. They are therefore trying to be removed by Satan. What are they? Very quickly, you know them. Number one, the distinction between the creation and the creator. Look at verse one again. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And if you keep reading, he created everything else that's on the earth. This one distinction, think about this. That one distinction, if you accept it by faith, and if it's true, and we know it is, 
It destroys pantheism, humanism, idolatry, and a thousand other man-made religions and philosophies. This is a foundational truth and a foundational reality. There is a difference between the creator and creation. Number two, there's a distinction between good and evil. That's being stolen from our children's hearts. Number three, there is a distinction between male and female. That's in this book. Number four, there's a distinction between animals and humans. Now, all four of those are clearly, emphatically, and divinely laid out early here in the book of Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 27, notice what it says. Male and female created he them. Chapter 1, verse 4, God divided the light from the darkness. And then later in chapter 2, verse 17, it says, thou shalt not. What is that? God setting down a command. Right and wrong. Light and darkness. Good versus evil. You see, folks, it's not compassionate. It is certainly not enlightened. It is not inclusive to allow men to steal trophies in women's sports. That's insanity, to rob them of their very achievements. I saw a picture yesterday, just yesterday, of a big burly dude who sued so that he could be allowed into a girls' college sorority. And there's a picture of the sorority, and here's all these girls in college, and they're you know, lined up, stacked up for the picture, and hairy guy. That is not compassion. That is a denial of truth and light and really basic science. But it's being pushed and accepted. When YouTube demonetizes a video because it violates their policies, and all that the video shows is a hunting and field dressing episode because it's got too much blood, that is a result not of a woke mind virus, That's simply a denial of God's mandate here in the book of Genesis. It's a denial to understand and and accept and embrace the truth that human life and animal life are different. That word dominion, see chapter 1, verse 26, when God said, I'm giving man dominion over the animals, that one word triggers most of our society today. You may have seen the story yesterday. I saw it. A drunk driver was pulled over in Springfield, Colorado. Now I'm in Colorado. It could have been alcohol and weed, of course. But he gets pulled over for reckless driving. And when the officer gets up to the door, the driver switched places with his dog, put his dog's paws on the steering wheel, trying to fool the cops out of giving him a DUI. Now, did it work? (laughs) No. I mean, he was high, he was drunk, but that's delusional. That's delusional, and it's, as you just showed me, it's laughable to, you know, hold his dog accountable for this guy being wasted. Everybody knows the distinction between human life and animal life, except, guess what? Not everybody does anymore. Except that's simply not true. That there are 
multitudes of people in the world today, Europe especially and America especially, with crazy academic credentials, by the way, they have PhDs behind their name, who want you to believe that there's really no difference between animal life and human life. You know, if a paramedic or a police officer comes up on a woman who's in labor and she is about to have a miscarriage and comes up on this situation but she claims to be a man is the call to the hospital going to be a man is in labor and is that paramedic going to give treatment based on male biology you're about to have a miscarriage but you're a guy how's he going to treat her then It's delusional. It's darkness. And as always, it is destructive because it goes directly against the word and the will of God. And yet, listen to me, it is happening. It is happening where a cop today would be required to call in an ambulance and say, a 30-year-old male is in labor. He, using the right pronoun. That's not a virus of the mind. That is a departure of foundational truth. And it is foolishness for Christian schools, which Christian schools are doing today all over this country, it is foolishness for them to soft-pedal this issue because they are afraid of being labeled intolerant or uncaring or whatever. The uncaring part are the ones who are giving in to this, this foolishness, this darkness. There's a difference between male and female. It's in the Bible. It's in Genesis. There's a difference between human life and animal life. Right here in chapter 1, look at verse 26. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and the cattle, and so on. This is the Word of God. Now look, tonight is just introductory. In the weeks ahead, we're going to look a little closer at the text itself and what it is, even why it is, that God has revealed these truths to us and given them to us in the first book of the Bible. And almost as important, almost as critical a consideration, beloved, is why every single foundational truth in this book is assaulted and misrepresented and hated and mocked, both by Satan and all of those who are entrapped in the kingdom of darkness. Why it is specifically, categorically, the book of Genesis that is the most attacked beginning in about K3 and K4 in the minds of young people. You realize as soon as God set down the distinction, as soon as God established the difference between God and humans, the creator and the creation, and the difference between good and evil, immediately, in chapter 3 is where we're going to see, the serpent said, Eve, you can be God. That was a lie of what God said. And Eve, you can know, you can decide what's right or wrong. You can know. You can be the determining factor in what is good and what is bad. We've often said that there are two books in the Bible 
which historically, if you know and you've read and you've studied sort of the history of, of faith or, or Christianity or churches, especially um, in the West, there are two books in the Bible that have received the most attention by way of mockery and hatred. Genesis and Jonah. Jonah is the book that Jesus pointed to as, evident, as the illustration of his resurrection. So you know, make fun and mock the story of a man being swallowed by a great fish, which Jesus believed, and therefore you were mocking and ridiculing the resurrection. And you're saying that that is also a fairy tale. And so it is with the book of Genesis. If Genesis 1 can be mocked as mythology or some sort of doctored-up version of a Babylonian epic, then Satan has won. He has won in the hearts, in your heart or the hearts of your young people. Because this is the first book. If, If the Holy Spirit cannot be trusted when he tells us about creation, how can he be trusted when he tells us about salvation? Well, I just love the parts about where Jesus talks about, you know, heaven. But that part in Genesis, when it starts talking about, you know, I don't know, that embarrasses me. The Holy Spirit inspired both. The whole counsel of God. If what the Holy Spirit says about earth in the first chapter of the Bible, if that is questionable or up for debate, then what about what he says about heaven? And judgment in the last chapter of the Bible. Obviously, Satan has been on the attack with this specific book. And yet, with all of his attacks, those who remain faithful in trusting the Bible have seen, not that you needed to see it, not that I needed to see it, that with the passing of years, the Genesis account of creation has been proven true time and time again. The Genesis account of Noah and the flood continues. I just saw someone put on my desk tonight. Books this thick. It's a book on geology where the rocks speak. Brother Timmer gave it to me. He's a scientist. And I haven't read it. I haven't opened it. But it's about how the rocks and earth shows there was the global flood as described in the book of Genesis. And as time goes on, it's proving that what the Genesis account says about Abraham, Israel, and the nations is correct. So that now you see these television shows. I don't watch them. They're goofy as far as I'm concerned. But they have these Ivy League scholars on there. And they're saying, you know, the mysteries of the Bible. Shocking evidence that there really was a Sodom and Gomorrah. It really was destroyed by fire. Now, they don't believe it came down from God. Shocking it. There's nothing shocking about it. Our first graders believe that in Sunday school. But they know it by faith. We have to approach this book by faith. Now, let me ask you this. If you were God and you were going to reveal yourself to men, this is something that I say to young people all the time when they ask me counsel about I have a friend and they say the Bible's written, it's a bunch of books written by men, and how do we know and so forth. I always say to them, I say, look, look around because creation testifies that there's a God. Obviously, creation testifies that there's a God. And most young people say, yeah, I can see that there's a God. Now, if there's a God, would he not want to speak to his creation? Yes. Then where did he do it? And 
the Book of Mormon written by this guy who wanted to have a bunch of wives and he tried to imitate the King James Version, these and thousand, it sounds silly. Is that where God had revealed himself to man or in the Quran that was written centuries after the Bible and just took pieces of the Bible and made up stuff from a cave and makes no sense with this circular reasoning? No. Where would he? So it kind of comes down to the Bible, to the Word of God. It's pretty simple. So if God, if you were God, and you were going to reveal yourself and your will to man, what would you write in the very first chapter of the very first book that you would write? Better yet, what would you say in the very first sentence? How would you prove to a world of what would be skeptics and unbelievers that you exist, that you are God, that you're Creator? How would you answer all the religions and isms of the world? Well, folks, regardless of how I would do it or how you would do it, God doesn't make any attempt at all to prove anything. Not at all. In fact, in just ten words, you will notice the Bible begins with the single greatest statement, I think, that has ever been written or read. Let's look at it again. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth, period. Or as the young people say, slay, whatever, done. Now, folks, in that one sublime statement, as Phillips once wrote, the Holy Spirit denied atheism by asserting the self-evident truth that he exists. And he sweeps aside polytheism by declaring himself to be one, he sweeps aside pantheism by separating himself from creation and matter. And in fact, if you really just look at the first four words of the Bible, they form the foundation of all faith. In the beginning, God. Believe those four words given in the Bible, and guess what? You won't have any problem believing all the rest of the Bible. It won't bother you that Jesus walked on water. It won't bother you that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. It won't bother you or make you question if an axe head swam. You believe those first. You believe in the beginning, God. And guess what? You don't have to have a PhD in astronomy or anything else. You don't have to be a scholar or go to seminary. You just believe because in the beginning, God. Look at verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. You say, Pastor, do you believe... I came to this study tonight, or I'm watching right now online, because I need to find out if you believe in cre creation, a uh, sort of reconstruction theory. Do you believe that view that it's called, the gap theory is the old name for it, as Schofield believed and taught in his notes, the whole idea that between verse 1 and verse 2, there's a period there of millions, even billions of years. Or, Pastor, do you believe in the day-age theory? That the word day, the Hebrew word is yom, means ages. 
Or do you believe in the revelation theory where it says that these are a little 24 hours? Yes, that's true. But only in the life of Moses. That in six days, God revealed these truths to Moses. What do you believe? Folks, I believe exactly what Genesis 1 says. Verse 5 says, the evening and the morning were the first day. Wow, that's pretty simple to me. You know what that is? That's one day. After hundreds and hundreds of years reading where scientists and theologians who listened to them got burned by having to change their earlier theories, I've come to realize that Christians really ought to know better than to worry about or try to reconcile the scientific theory. None of those theories existed, none of them, until Darwin came along. They needed something. And that's, that's all they've got. It's been disproven throughout the century, throughout the, the decades. But it's still all they got. And if you go back, and I don't care who it is, Kepler or Copernicus, Isaac Newton, some of these men, brilliant minds, brilliant. Some of them believers. Most of their beliefs, though, the father of this, the father of that, the father of this, most of them now are obsolete. When I was in high school, I loved science. I thought a lot about making science my hobby. I'll never forget being called into the counselor's office there at Martin County High School. I got a perfect 36 in science. I won't tell you my other ones. In science on the ACTs. And she came in and she said, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go to school? And I said, I'm going to a Bible college. I'm going to be a missionary. She said, what a waste. What a waste. You could, you, this, is, this is clearly the path you should take. I have to tell you something. One day, one of my science teachers, and I gravitated to them, told us that scientists are pretty much willing to accept a five-year half-life on most scientific data. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, five years, half of that, half of what is known, half-life, supposed to be fact today, is going to be proven flawed and replaced with a new theory. Half of that in five years. And I thought, eh, I'm not going to put my life and my entire faith in that. And I'm certainly not going to make the Word of God, the Bible, which is inerrant and infallible and eternal, subservient to that. And I remember deciding right then and there that I would always look to the Bible with humility and reverence and trust as my absolute and final authority. And through the years, people have come to me and they've thrown this contradiction, these, these silly, ridiculous websites that show the contradictions in the Bible and the scorning that comes from them. And they're so shallow. They're so empty and foolish. And they come to me all the time and always... The one impregnable wall to those things is, I trust the Bible. The Bible is true. In the beginning, God. That was some 50 years ago. And you know, it keeps happening year after year, decade after decade, that when I read this story in this science journal, whatever, and it just keeps on showing that they were wrong, that Schofield was wrong to embrace the thoughts of his era and being afraid because Darwin had this, the earth is gazillions of years old. It's interesting because a lot of scientists today, if you've noticed, are starting to get even more darkened 
and even more foolish because these are so-called scientists and they're saying, yeah, you know, a man can get pregnant. They can. They know better. There are chromosomes. They know the science. They're denying even their own evidence. That's called darkness. Now, we're not going to spend months and months, and some of you, a few of you, not many, might be disappointed. I'm not going to spend months discussing all the various conservative theories on show that the earth is old or the earth is new and so on. I'm just going to believe and teach the Bible as what it says. And I don't want to satisfy any of these outdated claims just because scientists need an old earth to make evolution work. That's what they need an old earth for. You know, if you were to say, um, a princess kissed a frog and it turned into a prince. That's called a fairy tale. But if you were to say, the princess kissed the frog for billions and billions and billions of years and it became a prince, that's, that's science. That's it. All you needed was time. Lots of time. I'll accept the Bible as written. When God created Adam, he appeared to be the perfect age for a man. One second after creation, he appeared to be the absolute perfect age for a male man, which is 65 years of age. We all know. <laughs> Trees that were one second old had the appearance of being hundreds and hundreds of years old. Maybe with the rings and all. I don't see the big deal. If you believe the first four words, you'll have no problem with the rest of the Bible. Look at verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. There's so much awesome and amazing science just in that, whose seed is in itself. And we could enjoy, I'm a geek in this stuff, I would love to do that. But that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to accept what God says, read it, believe it, and be challenged by it. Verse 12, and the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Now folks, I want you to think about this. Between verses 9 and 13, there are about 126 words in our English text. Over 100 of those words are of a single syllable. So that the raising the continents, the creation of the seas, the vegetation and how it all works, in the simplicity that only a supernatural wisdom could ever display. Years ago, I preached a message called Dr. Moses. Acts 7.22 says that Moses was, quote, learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses was raised as a little boy, a baby, by the greatest teachers on the planet, the greatest scientists, the greatest philosophers, the ones who built the pyramids, 
the greatest engineers. It says Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, the most advanced civilization at the time. That means that Moses was taught that a primeval egg came out of the ocean, it hatched, and out came the sun god. And the sun god had four children, Geb, Shu, Tefnut, and Nut. And from those four rivalries, creation took place. Somewhere around the age of 40, the man who was only taught that came into connection with God. And Moses said, Geb, Shu, Tefnut, Nut, it's all nuts. God enlightened his mind. So that you know what Moses is doing? Moses in writing Genesis chapter 1, these aren't his words. You recognize that, right? He didn't come up with this. These are not his words. These are obviously the words of the Creator Himself who was there. Who tells us simply what He did. But Pastor, the Graf-Wellhausen theory postulates that not Moses, but some redactor came along and he blah, 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 blah. I know. Unfortunately, I had to study a bunch of that stuff in seminary. The fantasies of Jean Ostruck, the JEPD theories on who actually, who really wrote Genesis. See, why don't you believe any of those theories? I can tell you why right now. It's simple. In Matthew 19, in Mark 10, and John chapter 7, the Lord Jesus said Moses wrote it. Good enough for me. Once Jesus said that Moses was the author, we all know. We knew it anyway. Moses is the author. It's what our Lord believed. And since the Lord Jesus is the creator, I'll take his word for it. Let me say this and I'll close. Psalm 11.3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? You know, that's a great warning. That's the reason why our young people are so confused today, just today. There's a, there's a certain website that has articles of all these periodicals, and I'll just go through them sometime and read on one that's interesting. And it said, it was a study that said that young people in the West, in America and Europe, are more depressed, more suicidal than any time in history. That's odd. We have more money, more creature comforts, more food, better clothes, more entertainment, more suicidal. If the, if the foundations be destroyed, they are robbing them of the foundations on which you stand. And the question that is asked in that psalm is, what can the righteous do? Beloved, listen, foundations are being destroyed, but not this foundation. They're being destroyed out there, in our courts, in our schools. These foundations are indestructible. You may remember God's answer to the question in Psalm 11. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the next line verse says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So it doesn't matter what the wackadoodles out there say or laws they want to pass or lies they want to tell our young people. God's on his throne. 
and his word is always true. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Please help us. Please help us not only to be reminded of your word, of the foundations of all that we believe and all that is, but also, Lord, help us to embrace them as never before in this darkened society. Father, we know that in the first century there were emperors that were much worse than our leaders. That there were leaders in those days that were gross idolaters and deniers of the faith. But your people, your apostles, your disciples stayed true to your word and believed it and quoted it as your word. May we do the same in this dark day, knowing that we can help our young people, Lord, to have a true firm foundation for their faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.